Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, thank you very much, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Happy Veterans Day to the men and women who serve now and who did serve, and to the families, the husbands and wives worrying at home the kids with missed memories, the brothers and sisters and loved ones wondering when those who risk it all for us to have it all will be home. Thank you to each and all of you. We appreciate, certainly I appreciate your service. And may we take the message of this day, the ideal of putting nation before self, even committing to the ultimate sacrifice, more to heart. Yeah, I'm politicizing it. And I'm looking at you, GOP enablers. And you know why. Veterans Day came from Armistice Armistice Day. Eisenhower renamed it. Armistice Day was when both sides laid down arms in World War I. Uh, The date was to mark the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918 when it ended. Well, it is the 11th hour now after this election. And these GOP cronies know it is over. Shame on you for allowing crazy to become contagious as COVID in your ranks. Why do you think Trump is ousting Pentagon leadership and loading up with loyalists, loyal loyalists? Maybe it's for troop withdrawal. Maybe it's to get Russian information released. And maybe it is because he is twisted enough to try to do something way worse. Remember who said nothing. Remember their shame. The president-elect Biden, he's doing what he can. He's meeting, planning to take on the pandemic, you know, the one where all the numbers are now in crazy, scary territory and Trump hasn't even mentioned it. Does it sound like someone his party should placate? Now we hear not only is this administration denying security briefings to the president-elect, but they're blocking Biden from receiving a stack of messages from foreign leaders. Again, this goes way beyond Trump. Trump is toxic. Surprise. However, the real surprise is the blame that must be put on those who ignore and therefore empower. And those who say this should just run its course. Running its course means transition. And they know it. I'm telling you, remember the people who are enabling this fraud. They must answer for defending Trump's delusions. They are remaining silent when it matters most. Most Republicans in Washington, did you know, they won't even say President-elect Biden in public? You know who else is doing that? Vladimir Putin, President Xi, and Kim Jong-un. Great company. The best they can be, apparently, is Senator Langford from Oklahoma, this guy. He sits on the Homeland Security Committee. Now, he won't call Biden president-elect either. He does say, though, he should get the daily security brief. Can you believe that's the best in their ranks? Even Karl Rove, remember him? He penned an op-ed saying this is over. Karl Rove, 
You know how toxically partisan you have to be for Karl Rove to be more fair to Democrats than you? And remember, the shame is that this is a game for them. They have no proof. You've heard them list no proof. Over on state TV, they have a list of potential bad votes. Nothing that comes close to changing the results. And they know it. And we know they know. How? Because they held the exact opposite position when they won an election. CNN's K-File found the ugly truth. Feast on this. You have people out there calling for recounts that are unsubstantiated based on no evidence. This was a legitimate election Mm -hmm. and no one should question the fact that Donald Trump is the president-elect. It's a fascinating group of these Democrats who can't seem to realize that it is time to move on. It is time to accept the fact that Trump will be the next president of the United States. Hillary is on her, her sore loser tour and now we have her going through recounts. You know what she needs to do? She needs to get over it. She lost. Get out of the way and let Donald Trump be president. Do you think the Democrats are sore losers? Yeah, I do. The reality is they're a bunch of spoiled crybabies. Newsflash for many of the partisan Democrats and those in the mainstream media who continue to try to delegitimize President-elect Trump's uh, massive and historic win last month. The election's over. Hillary Clinton lost. You have to win 270 electoral votes to be elected president, and President-elect Trump actually got 306. This is all really just an effort to try to delegitimize the win. The left's going to lie. The left's going to be smirched. They're They're going going nuts now. They can't accept the election results, let alone the fact that he's actually going to solve problems. They have to decide whether they're going to interfere with him finishing his business, interfere with the peaceful transition, transfer of power to President-elect Trump and Vice President-elect Pence, or if they're going to be a bunch of crybabies and sore losers about an election that they can't turn around. This is America. We live in a democracy. Everybody, when they woke up in the morning, it's registered to vote, could go choose. So how about respecting the majority that also live here and their vote should count? Okay. Shame on them. A wax museum is less cold-blooded than these people are. And let them know they are going to lose way more than this election. This matters. What they're playing at now matters. This isn't tax, don't tax. This isn't who lies, who doesn't lie. This is what lies at the heart of our democracy, and they know it. Hillary Clinton, say what you want, she promptly conceded, even though she spanked them in the popular vote. Why? That's what our system demands. Other Democrats swiftly came to terms with Trump's victory. Proof. We must accept this result and then look to the future. Donald Trump is going to be our president. We owe him an open mind and the chance to lead. So I have instructed my team to follow the example that President Bush's team set eight years ago and work as hard as we can to make sure that this is a successful transition for the president-elect. I want to offer my congratulations to president-elect Donald Trump and wish him well for the American people. We, of course, were all very disappointed, not more than disappointed, hard to accept the results, but accept we do. The peaceful transfer of power is... uh, what America and our democracy is about. 77 million plus and counting delivered a spanking to Trump by voting for Joe Biden. We have never seen a number like it. What about the 70 million who voted for Trump? What about them? 
What about respecting their role in the democracy by honoring the democracy yourself? They came out and voted. They played the game the right way. And again, let's put up some of the vote boards in the key races to show how this is not a squeaker. This is not about finding a few ballots or even a few hundred. And that's all recounts generally change. Karl Rove said that, too, in his op-ed. Wisconsin, Biden's up more than 20,000. Pennsylvania, he's up more than 50,000. In Georgia, he's up more than 14,000. The state announced today it will be holding a full recount. And that should deliver confidence in the outcome. Nobody's saying no recounts where they meet the standard. Nobody's saying don't certify. We're saying don't lie about having proof of some kind of perfidy when it doesn't exist. Because that is enabling a fraud. And you know it. In Nevada, Biden leads now by more than 36,000. In Michigan, you know, Clinton lost to Trump there by under 11,000. She didn't fight it. Trump's suing to stop Michigan from certifying the count. He's down by 146,000. Now, just as gross, you know where Trump didn't want to stop the count? Alaska. Why? CNN just called the race for him today. They've been counting absentee mail-in votes for over a week. Why is that okay? Because he won. Again, this is not about Trump. As I said, he is a revenant at this point. He is a dead man walking because he's not even vital enough to deal with the crisis that is overwhelming this country. He doesn't even talk about the numbers, only himself. That's who he is. It is what it is. And it's ugly and it's always been. He's always lied when he sees a loss. Proof? Okay. Romney lost to Obama in 2012. Trump, total sham. 2016, primary season, Ted Cruz beats him in the Iowa caucus. What does he say? He didn't win. He stole it. 2016, he loses, right? What does he say? Rigged. Even after he won, he ordered a commission. Why? I only lost a popular vote because 2 million, 4 million, 6 million, because the numbers are all the same to him, right? Just like his net worth. They were all fraudulent. He puts together this commission, headed up by his boy, Kobach. You know what they find? Nothing. They had to remove the commission. You know how rare that is? He cried fraud all through the 2018 midterms, claiming people were voting illegally multiple times by changing clothes. Proof? Crickets. And let's not forget one thing. Trump was impeached. And remember why? Shaking down a foreign power to help him fix this election and take down Biden. He is a liar and a cheat. But he always has been. He is not the real problem. He can't do this alone. It's the cronies inside and the craven in Congress. That's why this continues and continues to hamper our fight against COVID. Again, Trump hasn't even told you about the latest numbers and he is doing nothing. And they are stalling the rightful transfer of power to a group that will do something. And remember, none has provided you any proof to justify this malignant malfeasance. They must all be held to account for what they are enabling right now. Never forget. So what is the state of play with this perfidy? What is Biden able to do? How bad for how long? Dana Bash, David Gregory, join us now. Thank you for your patience. Dana, what is the latest word in terms of how long the GOP will prop up this perfidy? There is no 
time, there is no date, there is no specific marker that uh, they're looking for. Um, it's kind of, they'll, they'll know it when they see it, which is certainly not like an answer. Kind of, that Supreme Court case, kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different kind, but yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. So they're doing a couple of things. They are um, allowing these court cases, which even people close to the president call frivolous. Uh, they al they're allowing them to run their course in order to try to show the president this is a dead end path, the, the, the courts. And uh, another date that we're looking at is December 8th, when um, by law, all of the states have to have certified their, their uh, electoral, their electors and certified the election. And so those are two things that we're looking at. But who knows? I mean, as you just described, and as we know, because we've been covering Donald Trump as a politician for five years, um, we know to expect the unexpected. And th why these Republicans who are just saying, let it run its course, think that there will be an epiphany at some point is uh, unclear. Why doesn't proof factor into it, David? You know, ordinarily, this would make sense. Um, you know, 2000, that was an ugly period. We had bad machines down there. There was a recount necessary. It went through the courts, went to the Supreme Court. We all know the story. There is no there there here. And yet they argue vehemently that it has to run its course based on what theory? That they're afraid of the president. You know, in a lot of these cases, you see members of a president's party separate from him when he becomes less popular. Uh, that's when they get the backbone to separate because they feel like they've got the political reason to do it. Here, they don't sense that. Um, you know, the writing is more than on the wall. The evidence is clear. These legal avenues you've laid it out are not going to come to fruition. The vote totals are too big. The victory is too big for Biden. Uh, none of it is going to work. And yet, uh, I think rank and file Republicans know, and certainly Republican leaders in Washington know, that Trump is going to have some area of power, mm -hmm. whether he threatens to run again or just launches a, a television network, a news network, or just keeps tweeting. He's going to keep dogging these Republicans, and they don't mm -hmm. feel like he's significantly diminished yet for them to, you know, walk down Pennsylvania Avenue and say, it's over. Um, it's just not the case yet. Nobody, we have, we've seen it for four years. Nobody's willing to get out front of right. him except a very small handful. Dana, what do and they make? I, oh, go ahead, but uh, please wrap this in there as well. What do they make of what he's doing at the Pentagon? You know, that, that's the question that I've been trying to get the answer to all day. Um, for the most part, one of the answers that I get is, um, you know, this is just the president dis disliking Esper, who was uh, the defense secretary. And that also goes with the people who the political appointees, the civilian leadership who the, were, were under him. Um, you know, the question, obviously, because the place he decided to make moves was at the Pentagon is, is there something dangerous going on? Because it's the Pentagon. Um, the answer that I've gotten so far is no, but it's not a, it's not a sure no. It's a no, I don't think so. Mm. Uh, so people are watching. But just to amplify what David was just saying, I talked to a source um, in the Trump orbit today who said that the, what the president is saying internally is that he believes he holds all the cards. 72 million Americans voted for him. 
two Georgia seats are uh, still going to be contested in a runoff on January 5th. And that determines whether or not Mitch McConnell is the Senate majority leader or the Senate minority leader. And that is why one of the big reasons why the Senate Republicans in particular Mm. feel that that they're so intimidated, because if they make him mad and they piss him off, then they're worried that he won't go and campaign uh, for the Republicans and they could lose the majority because he will feel that there is no fealty to him. Strong point. Strong point. It makes sense. And that's what I've heard as well. But what an ugly calculation. Uh, David, uh, the idea of uh, what this means for Biden. Uh, He announced Ron Klain as his chief of staff today. Uh, He's got an interesting line in his pedigree, having been the head uh, of the Obala. uh, He was the Ebola czar. Um, So that gives him a little acumen in this area. Um, Some names are bubbling up, but not getting any uh, messages from foreign leaders. Are there other, other avenues for that? Not getting the security briefing. Are there other avenues for that? I think for the time being, he's fine. Remember, this is the former vice president who was just there four years ago. Ron Klain has been in government for a long time. He is one of the wise men of uh, democratic politics. And the point about the Ebolazar is really important because not only is he a fantastic guy for one thing, but um, a loyalist to Biden. But because of that particular experience with Ebola, uh, he's gonna mobilize very quickly for the administration to respond to COVID. And just as the financial crisis was Uh, What Obama faced uh, coming into office here, this is the number one crisis that Biden faces. And that, to me, is the biggest cause, uh, cost of this particular period, is that you just have inaction. You said it at the top. The president's not talking about uh, this this horrible spike in cases and the crisis that is redeveloping. You have a government-in-waiting in transition that is doing this work but is being cut off because right now there's no cooperation with the administration. Imagine if they put their forces together what they might be able to accomplish. Mm. David, Dana, you guys are like the super twins. Uh, This is really great. Thank you so much. No, such perspective and insight. This is great. Thank you for my audience. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. All right. Now, look, again, uh, the, the marriage of this, okay, they have no proof to delay the transition. They've offered you none. And they are sleeping on all this proof that COVID is worse than we've seen it. I mean, it's not just hurting us at home. It is impacting us around the world. And that's got to count at some point. Madeleine Albright can give us the skinny on that. The former Secretary of State is here. What does she make of what's happening here? Uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, one of her successors. The joke that he made that he said wasn't a joke. Let's get some perspective from someone who knows the stakes. Next. We're all spending a lot of time like this now, right? Like, seriously? I I thought it was over, right? Just wonder. Bizarre sense of wonder and growing anxiety on top of the anxiety. New tonight. The State Department is actively preventing the president-elect from seeing messages from foreign leaders. Yet those same leaders are going around the Trump administration. (sighs) Great perspective. From Canada to Germany, the UK, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, they're finding a way to congratulate Biden on his victory. It's also telling who hasn't. Putin, Xi, and Kim. The only company uh, that they are able to keep right now is the host of GOP Congress members who are basically acting the same way. 
Does it matter? What does it mean? Short term, long term? Is this real? Is my angst justified? Former Secretary of State and U.N. Ambassador and easy Cuomo critic Madeleine Albright joins us. Madam Secretary, welcome once again to primetime. And before we begin, congratulations to you. 72 years ago today, you came to America. What a beautiful addition. Uh, you are part of what the dream is all about. Well, Chris, it's great to be with you. And I am a grateful American uh, for this country having given my family uh, a place to be when uh, communists had taken over Czechoslovakia. And before that, we had spent the war in London. So I really, we were, I was 11 years old and I was very grateful. And um, I'm wearing the Statue of Liberty because uh, recently the Statue of Liberty was weeping and now she is smiling again, the way it looked when we arrived on the SS America in New York. Why is she smiling when we have a non-transition, changes at the Pentagon, uh, a disregarding of an election and an entire political party standing by and saying nothing? Because she's patient. Um, and I do think that this particular moment, which is truly ridiculous, and I heard what you were talking about before, and very troubling, but I think that uh, our patience is going to be very helpful, and we have a great future with uh, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, and I think that it's going to make a difference. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it because some of the absolutely ridiculous things that are going on now will be put behind us and our allies and friends will regain trust in this country, which was lost in the last four years. Again, not to put a pin in the bubble of uh, this commemorative day of you being here and of the sanguine outlook, uh, which ordinarily would be appreciated. But where does your confidence come from with Trump saying, I'm going to win and all these senators and members of Congress with no proof, Madeline, not a single piece other than, you know, the customary things you see about perhaps bad ballots. Maybe people stole people's identities. Uh, we see these things in elections, but nothing of the standard they would need to overturn an election. And yet they're all saying, let it go. Well, I have to say I'm totally appalled, uh, obviously, by the behavior of Trump, but also by members of his party. Uh, who are not objecting to the kinds of things that are going on, elected officials uh, who should not be terrified of any payback that would come from Trump. But I really am surprised. I believe in bipartisanship. I want to see them doing something and being uh, really honorable in terms of their own constituencies. And so I am deeply troubled. By the way, I'm often asked if I'm an optimist or a pessimist. I'm an optimist who does worry a lot. So I am worried, but I prefer to be able to look at this as a way where we will sort our way out of it because we have very, very good people that are ready to come in and run a government that has been chaotic and without purpose, except for the glorification of a, uh, a president that is only interested in his own legacy. So we have an awful lot to get over and I'm looking forward to the time when the transition can really take place and we will have a government 
that is reflective of America's potential and greatness and our understanding of democracy. Two more quick things. One, uh, what's your sense of time until when the transition takes place and how much time we have before it starts to disrupt relations abroad? Well, I do think you've gone through a number of dates that have to happen, and I think we will go through that. But I think it's very important uh, for us to uh, really, I hope that our friends and allies really are listening to those people that are talking about, we'll get over this. Our democracy is resilient. Democracy knows how to correct itself. Uh, and I do think that it is important for them uh, to understand that we will get through this, but it's not simple. It, there's just, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think that there are very serious bad things going on in terms of the example of that we set in the world. By the way, Chris, we have been AWOL for the last four years. We have uh, not been present at, at the meetings that are important. Uh, we have a president who only has his own agenda. So there's going to be an awful lot of work to restore America's reputation and to make us uh, very active partners in a world that really needs to have America as a as a reasonable, rational partner. Any uh, risk that people abroad say this Biden, he doesn't even have support at home. I'm not dealing with him. I don't think that will happen. I really don't, because I think, first of all, they know Biden. I mean, that is the incredible part. He I've known him a very long time. He is somebody that has uh, deep relations with countries all over the world, with the leaders. Uh, they know him. They also will know, I think, a lot of the people that will be in the administration. Uh, and, and I do think that things can be restored because we have to get this done. And by the way, you were talking about transitions. Uh, I have been transitioned into, and I've done the transitioning. The latter is more fun. But it is a very interesting period in turning over the crown jewels. So there has to be a process that is orderly and important. And by the way, from my understanding is the Trump people didn't know how to use the transition going in. So that is the problem. And so it is not going to be an easy transition in terms of picking up the pieces and knowing. Uh, and there, the intelligence briefings have to begin. People need to begin to take their places. So um, I'm not going to, as I said, sugarcoat this. There are many things to do. Uh, and it... And the calendar, as you've described it, there's certain dates that have to happen. And I do think that it's very important to try to show the patience uh, and peace and patriotism and to really get through this very, very troubling period. Pompeo's setting a low bar as Secretary of State, not just with his, uh, his bad call on what to say undermining the election, but he doesn't really have a lot of achievements to his name. Who would you like to see as Secretary of State? Well, any number of people. I think there are an awful lot of good candidates. Come on, give me people one. People that will understand their job Just better than Pompeo does, because Pompeo is more dedicated to Trump and the party than to democracy and the United States. Agreed. Give me one name. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I knew it. And I always lose. <laughs> Secretary Madeleine Albright, uh, thank you so much. 72 beautiful years in this country. Uh, you've been doing nothing but pay the country back for the opportunity it gave you uh, and your family. Uh, always a pleasure to see you. Thank you for perspective on the moment. I never thought Great I'd be talking to, be to you about you, this, Chris. but here we Terrific. are. I'll talk thank to you again you. soon. God bless and be well. Oh, thank you very much. And look, what's the problem? The problem is this isn't just for fun. This isn't just political state of play. 
states all over the country are starting to run out of hospital capacity. Remember, it's a lagging indicator. We started to see the cases spike. Oh, but the hospitals are okay. We're, yeah, that comes next. Now we're there. We're breaking records of the wrong kind. So let's get together and figure out not just what you have to do, but where the bad things are happening. That informs us what needs to be done. There he is, the long-haired Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Next. Now, if you want proof that the wrong side is winning in a big contest, look at the war against COVID. We're seeing more new cases than ever. More than 140,000 people were infected just today. That's another single day high. Not just a blip, the ninth consecutive day we've seen more than 100,000 new cases. You know, the more cases you get, you're going to add more than a million new cases each week. What do you think happens to the system, communities, families? Why is this happening? Well, that partly is answered by looking at where it's happening. The worst of it right now is in the Midwest. But every region of the country is facing a surge to differing degrees and, again, for varying reasons. For instance, Texas today became the first state to pass one million COVID cases. A dozen other states recorded their highest single day of new cases this week. What do you see there? Relaxing standards. A sense that you're past it. Now, testing. Testing has increased. But the proportion of tests that come back positive is what matters. And that rate of positivity is increasing in most states. Look at the color key. Take a second. Look at it. Trump lied when he said testing was the problem. You go, you test more, you make more cases. No, the positivity rate is what matters. The darkest states have positivity rates as high as 55%. All right, it's all shades of blue. You want to be in that light, light, light blue like you see over there in New Hampshire or Vermont. More Americans are also being hospitalized for COVID than ever before. That takes care of the, oh, they're just cases, but they don't get that sick. Now they're in the hospitals. It's a lagging indicator. 17 states reported record highs in hospitals on Tuesday. What happens when they run out of capacity? For the second day, we topped our hospitalization record with more than 65,000 people in hospital beds. Hospitals all over are at their breaking point. In North Dakota, staffing shortages are so bad that the governor is now allowing healthcare workers with active COVID infections to continue working as long as they're asymptomatic. Can you imagine all these months in? More infections, more hospitalizations only means one thing. Eventually, you'll see more deaths. An average of nearly 1,000 lost each day yesterday, we had more than 1,400. Can we continue to let this virus win when we know of ways to stop it? We can learn from our previous battles. But what? How? When? The chief doctor, Sanjay Gupta, joins me now. Good to see you, brother. Um, Why do we look to where it is spreading for a more acute analysis of what that state, region or community needs to do differently? 
Well, because, you know, we, we don't have a national strategy, right? So every place as a result is different, has sort of had different guidelines. And we, we have to sort of look at what's specifically happening there. You know, there, these rural areas, South Dakota, for example, I think you were referencing in, in one of those graphs. They, I think for a while there, we thought that these waves across the country were going to skip. They thought it was going to skip them, essentially. They weren't going to be as affected by it. And now, as you point out, 55 percent positivity rates, which means that there's far, far more cases there than are ever being uh, accounted for. They're just not, they're simply not catching them. North Dakota over there, they got 20 to 25 ICU beds total for the state. Okay, so, so what happens, Chris, in these situations uh, when people, you know, start having some of the worst symptoms here in, the, in those places? It becomes a, a real challenge. It is true, younger people now compared to before are more likely to get infected. I mean, 50% roughly now are under the age of 50. Before it was 75% were over the age of 50. Uh, but there's still, you know, a lot of infection out there. By the way, 18 to 29 year olds now make up a quarter of infections. Just that that's another stat, you know, there's a college students, a lot of them. So, you know, it just that that's sort of what's happening across the country. Mortality rate. That is the last bastion for the denier. You know, as a function of cases, the death rate's going down. So it doesn't really matter that we have these cases. The, the, the death rate, I think we have learned a lot about this virus. I, we know how to better care for patients who have the virus. There are certain therapeutics like remdesivir, uh, steroids. We know even that ventilators aren't always a good option for a lot of these patients. Instead, putting them in a prone position, you'll remember, Chris, may be a lot better you know, for people who are having difficulty breathing as opposed to going to the ventilator. And as I mentioned, younger people are, are more likely to be getting infected now compared to before, and they're less likely to get as sick. The problem is, as you alluded to, again, the absolute numbers are so high, while the proportion may have come down, the absolute numbers are so high, the expectation is we're going to be at 2,200 people sadly dying every day starting at near the end of January. We're going to hit 300,000 cases per day by the end of this year. You talked about the hospitalizations. They think those numbers will double by February. So it, it, it is, it is um, you know, the numbers are all going in the wrong direction. Even if the death proportion rate has come down, it's still unacceptably too high. Do you buy uh, the promise of a T-cell test? What is it? Why would it be a good thing? And do you think it's something we should jump on in terms of mass production? Well, you know, I think someone like you might find this interesting, Chris, right? Because, you know, everyone talks about the antibodies, which are these proteins that you measure in the blood after someone's had the infection to see if it's, they still have immunity. We know that those antibodies wane uh, over time. But yet, you know, while we've seen reinfections, we haven't seen huge amounts of reinfections. If it truly waned nine months into this, we'd be seeing a lot of reinfections by this point. Seeing some, but not a lot. Why? Probably these T cells, which are these cells that are part of the immune system, they seem to be activated in response to this virus. So they may be a good measure of, of immunity. But the problem is we don't know still how much immunity they actually confer. Still got to figure that out. But they may end up being a better measure long term uh, versus antibodies. Sanjay Gupta and your luxurious locks, thank you so much for being with us, as always. I appreciate you. <laughs> Listen, I'm getting this cut now. Definitely, do- definitely getting a cut. It doesn't, first of all, it's gorgeous. I mean, Second of all, it doesn't matter how mocking. bad the pandemic gets, I'll always have a sense of humor because it's the, it is the best medicine there is. <laughs> At my I'm, expense. I'm, <laughs> well, come on, everybody loves Sanjay. I'm just different by giving you some heat. Nobody gives Sanjay Gupta heat. I'm on text threads <laughs> with two different people now randomly, randomly, who are going through long haul. One of them just found in a scan of her lungs that she doesn't have enough big blood vessels 
She has uh, a lot of small blood vessels and it's robbing Mm. her of oxygenated uh, blood and therefore she's short of breath. The other one, nine months in, she just said goodbye to the support group uh, online and she's just now very fit, very strong, just starting to resume activity. Long haul is real. Even if you have a mild case, we have to stay on how this goes and we got to keep smiling and loving each other. Sanjay, I love you and thank you. I love you, Chris. Take care. Because, look, if we don't care enough about each other, we're not going to care about what this is happening. I really believe it's a key ingredient that's missing here. We don't care enough about each other. And how can you in this climate? Every signal you're getting is to hate somebody. Trump's Pentagon purge. You know, it's just another state of it. Us and them. The enemy. Why? Because he wants to push to declassify sensitive Russia probe information. Is that what this is about? What damage would that do? What damage could he do? Former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe talks us through why this situation matters. Next. The latest radioactive righty thrust into a power position in the Pentagon is retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor, a state TV regular, of course, history of xenophobia, history of racist comments, big proponent of immediately pulling all of our forces out of Afghanistan, and he has parroted Kremlin talking points on Ukraine. McGregor, not alone. The new faces include a retired general, too controversial for even Republicans to confirm, and a who's who of Trump's efforts to declassify anything that he seems to believe would exonerate him on Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. It was Russia, Russia, Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. Russia. It was Russia. Sadly, that's him at some of his most cogent. And think about it. Nothing Russia wanted in your heads about Biden that he didn't put there twice as much. Just so happens to be a topic Andrew McCabe knows well. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you, Chris. Why is he doing this stuff at the Pentagon? Do you think it's about Russia disclosure or something worse? You know, I think it could be uh, it's a there's a couple of things that come to mind here. It's obviously not clear exactly what the president is trying to accomplish. I think in the short run, uh, the idea of putting uh, officials into positions to green light the continued release of confidential and highly classified intelligence to support his political grievances is a uh, is concerning enough. Um, But honestly, Chris, from my perspective as a law enforcement official concerned with protecting the homeland in terms of my career in the FBI, um, I know that there is a very delicate balance between um, the military and their very, very limited involvement in law enforcement activity in the United States. And that requires very high level requests from the attorney general to the Department of Defense usually only happens during times of national security special events. And I am concerned that the president may be putting officials in positions to potentially greenlight or slick the skids for the involvement of our military in domestic, political, and law enforcement activities. And that is something every American should be concerned about. First of all, like what? Second of all, then are we getting lucky that it's on the military side and not on the intelligence side where they'd have more immediate access to this type of declassification? Well, I don't think there's any lack of pressure being put on the intelligence side at the same time. Uh, I think uh, the reporting today in The Washington Post was highly concerning about 
um, a, a concerted effort among intelligence officials from the military to the CIA to the attorney general himself to Democrats and Republicans in the Senate, all of whom are desperately trying to stop this president from declassifying highly, highly sensitive, sensitive intelligence that was used in the intelligence community assessment in 2016 to detail the uh, involvement of Russian meddling in our in our election in 2016. So that is happening right now, according to the reporting in the Washington Post. Um, what's happening at the in in positions of leadership in the Department of Defense is another very concerning um, um, undermining of the independence of our military and intelligence uh, infrastructure. Stepping on toes aside, what's the big deal if some sources and methods get exposed? What is the risk? Well, it's a very big deal to some of those sources who might be facing uh, uh, a very significant threat to their own lives. Um, but I will tell you this is obviously I'm limited in how detailed I can get talking about the work that we did on the intelligence community assessment. But I will tell you that that assessment was the result of a tasking from President Obama to put everything we knew on the table about what the Russians might have done in 2016. And that product at its highest, most classified level included information from sources um, of irreplaceable value to the United States government. Unbelievably highly classified sensitive sources. And to think that a president of the United States would risk compromising those unique sources of intelligence to our government simply to solve some political grievance or to support his narrative about <laughs> Russia, it's unthinkable. I mean, it is unthinkable. unthinkable. What have you been in a foxhole for the last three or four days? What do you mean? It's unthinkable. The guy won't well, even turn be. over power. He's got no it proof. It should be unthinkable. How are we here? Why are we even talking about this? I, I, I can't even believe we're having this conversation. He is holding up the transfer of power in a democracy over sour grapes. Come on, Andrew, you know better than that. You, you've, been, you've been in the media game long enough to see what's going on around here. Not everything is, uh, you know, all dotted and crossed. People just do things for bad reasons sometimes. Uh, let's hope this plays out in the favor of those sources so the work of intelligence can continue. Andrew McCabe, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Got to teach these guys everything. Listen, we must honor those who honor us by putting their lives on the line to protect our democracy. And this is a day to do it. Veterans Day, long tradition here and an important one. We can never repay our heroes. But that's not completely true, because what so many veterans will ask you is to vote, to take your democracy seriously, to respect what they do and respect what you do with the rights that they have allowed us to secure. Our tribute, next. Nineteen million veterans in the U.S. Why don't we serve them the way they've served us? Thank you for your service. We say it, right? But do we mean it? What do we do about it? Do we fight for them and their care and their GI Bill? Meh, right? Not enough. Do we live our lives in respect of the rights that they secure? God, country, family. They live it. But where are we? Look around you. COVID, chaos, and complete animus. 
And you know why I believe that is in large part is what we see going on in our politics, namely with our president. I absolutely want to connect this day with this president because these men and women sacrificed their lives and their well-being and their families and their futures so that things here have a chance to be better. And that's not what he represents. And I'm not talking about him shirking his own military service. I'm not even, you know, forget it. Yeah, he spent less than 10 minutes at Arlington National Cemetery to honor our fallen heroes. It's not right. But the bigger problem is that he dishonors our sense of duty that we recognize on this day. Denying the defeat in this election is denying our democracy. And accepting defeat from COVID the way he has is inexcusable in a leader. His refusal to accept the results of a free and fair election is exactly what these men and women do for us. They make us able to have this system. We should take it seriously. We should respect it. Freedom, peace, integrity. Those are values that we are allowed to have here. They are secure. But not with this president and not now. Think about it. We honor the men and women who serve us. We should do it by having clear eyes and proud hearts about what we accept and reject in our leaders. Thank you to those who served and their families. Time for D. Lemon, CNN Tonight. Amen. Thank you. And you know what, how else we thank them? We respect them by honoring the ballots that they mailed in from wherever they are stationed overseas or wherever they are. We honor them by allowing all of those votes to be counted as well. And we don't say stop the counting when it's not in our favor. Do you disagree with that? Um, no, the, the trumpery on it is, oh, no, I only want to stop the counting where I'm losing. Yeah. If wow. I'm winning, I'm good. But there are military ballots. Yeah. Many of them. Yeah, only the military that votes for me. They're good. Yeah. The other one's suspect. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's silly until you see this whole party standing up and smiling along with the jackassery. We, you know, we've been asking this question for, you know, at first we were like, well, what's going on? What's wrong with the Republicans? And you had, you know, a few people, you had like John Kasich and then um, you had John McCain and a couple of other people uh, who stood up. And even the ones who ran against him in the beginning, like Marco Rubio and Lindsey Graham and on and on. And then all of a sudden they somehow lost their backbone and still haven't found it. Maybe we can, you know, offer them an x-ray and, and help them get it back. But um, we've been saying that from the beginning. Where are the Republicans? The patriots, the people who have said for so long, they've been espousing, oh, duty, honor, country, all of that. Why aren't they standing up for the Constitution? Why aren't they standing up for the American people? Why have they just really laid themselves out in front of this president to get him to have his way with them? Whatever he wants, they allow him to do it. I don't understand it. So I don't, as much, listen. I, yes, I do fault Donald Trump, but I fault the people around him, the enablers, the enablers, excuse me, more than I fault him because his, his behavior is consistent. Amen. Over and over and over. And there's, I mean, for the last couple of years, but these are the people before who were talking about family values and values and duty, honor, country, constitution, uh, that's a, the right for everyone to live under. And so far, nothing. So I fault them more at this point than Absolutely. him. Absolutely. And also, look, at least... He's fighting for his own survival. I don't justify it, but at least I can recognize it. They are just fighting for their own selective 
future. Yeah. McConnell wants these special seats uh, down in those Senate races in Georgia. He needs Trump to get them. He can't say anything. Yeah. These other guys, Cruz, Rubio, Grant, they think they're going to be the next Trump. <laughs> they will never it's be never, Trump. The ever, base will never ever. accept you the way they accept him. It's never going to happen. And you said fighting for his, he's fighting for his own grip. You cannot get out there and, uh, and get thousands and thousands of people to come to your rallies and probably charge them for tickets and get them to pay off your campaign debts, continue to give, the, to give you money and to praise you. You can't do that if you say, OK, if you capitulate and say, OK, fine, I lost. You have to keep up the grift, right? You've got to keep the fakery up in order to get people to, to still believe in you. That's, that's what the con is right now. It's all about the Benjamins. I've got to right. run. The con and con man stands yeah. for confidence, and he'll lose confidence when those around him take it from him. I'm sorry I didn't see you today. It's my bad. It was. Scheduling mistake. Forgiven. I love you, d I love you, too. I'll see you later. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.